we're going to be continuing the series we started last week called The Main Thing. And uh, we're going to be talking today about the God that Moses served from Exodus chapter 33, uh, verses 1 through 3. And I've got to tell you, I just I so appreciate uh, Kimberly and our, and our worship team. Um, thank you for leading us into the presence of God this morning. That was just uh, was very special. And uh, I needed that today. <laughs> I, I needed that. And uh, there's, yeah, yeah, we, thank you. Who said that? Someone said we all did. Thank you. You're absolutely right. I, uh, you know, I didn't grow up close to God. And uh, it always amazes me that God is willing to have somebody as messed up with my history as me in his presence. And there's just nothing like it. And uh, you can have music in church. And lots of churches have music. And I don't mean this critically. I don't mean this judgmentally. But I appreciate a team that leads us into the presence of God and lets us have worship and lets us just connect with him directly. And, and I really appreciate that. That's, I, I really do. Thank you, team, for your leadership this morning. Um, let's read from Exodus. I'm, I'm having a hard time collecting my thoughts a little bit this morning, which is unusual for me. I just, um, just felt the presence of God very personally and very near to me this morning. And, uh, you know, I try not to be very... I grew up in a German family, right? And we, don't, we try not to have emotions Except for cranky. We do that one pretty well. <laughs> I do cranky really well. Um, and so I'm a little uncomfortable sometimes letting those emotions. I just grew up in an environment where if you showed your emotions, that was weak. Right? And we pry out, we kind of, and that's not right. You know, there's just some pride uh, in us in trying to keep those things under the surface. But at the same time, you know, I also am thankful for a God that's going to take us from who we are to who we can be. And be patient with us and say, you know, even in spite of the way that you were raised or you grew up or what your past was, you know, there's a different me that I can be in Jesus that doesn't totally throw away all the parts of me that he made me, but it refines me and it helps me experience that. And so, so sometimes I just, just feel a little tender and inadequate in God's presence. And so today, just in that time of worship, I just, I felt very safe, but I also feel a little raw. So I'll just bear with me. I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll hit my stride here in a second, but I'm just still trying to process everything that was God, God was doing in my heart this morning. Um, so let's read from Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have it in your phone, you can, you can grab it there, and we have it printed in your notes so you can follow along. Here's the text for this morning, or at least where we'll start out. Exodus chapter 33. The Lord says to Moses, get going. <laughs> Has God ever used those two words to you? <laughs> All right, get going. <laughs> you know, I appreciate you waiting around and waiting for seven signs and confirmations. And little, now get going. <laughs> I think that's probably what he says to me more than anything else. You've thought and thought and thought. And I'll st- I, overthinking is my gift. Like I just, I'm a good overthinker. Um, but the Lord said to Moses, get going. You and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them I'll give this land to your descendants and I'll send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I practiced those words all week, so I'm really proud of myself right now. I, don't even, I might have pronounced three of them wrong, but you don't, you don't know that. Let's just keep rolling along. Go, thank you. Thank you, do, thank you, Dr. Stewart. I appreciate that. He's like, you did good. Yeah, he's written, yeah he thinks in Hebrew, so that helps. You know? <laughs> Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but, but here's the part that shudders, I think shuddered Moses, but I will not travel among you. For you're a stubborn and rebellious people. And if I did, I'd surely destroy you along the way. Yikes. Here's essentially what God's saying. And, and, and man, here's, here's, this isn't in the message, but I just feel like I need to ask this question because it just jumped into my mind real fresh. Here's essentially what God's saying. I will give you everything I promised, except I won't go with you. 
Would you take God up if he said, I'll give you everything you ever wanted but me? Give you the wealth, give you the house, give you the job, give you the relationships, give you the production in your ministry, big church, whatever it is that's really in your heart. If God says, I'll give you everything except I won't go with you. I wonder in the raw honesty of our heart how many of us would say, well, maybe I'd make that trade-off. It's a challenging question. Because here he's saying, Moses, everything I promised to you, I'm still going to give you because I'm a God of my word. However, because of the way that you lived, I can't go along with you. I wonder if God gave you the husband or the wife of your dreams, the kids of your dreams, the job, the bunny, the house, the car, the 3.5 bedrooms. and Well, 3.5 bedrooms. You know, how do you have a 0.5 bedroom? 3.5 bathrooms, <laughs> a real small bedroom, right? He gave you all that. The money, the fulfillment. You know, the kids that just worshiped the ground you walked on and behaved all the time. (laughs) It's not what I got, right? (laughs) What if he gave you all that but him? Would you take it? And I wonder if your first answer is the real answer. Because maybe a lot of us live our lives already looking after those things and we take it or leave it without God. That's essentially what he says to Moses. And, And to fast forward to the end of the story, that wasn't good enough for Moses. Because it wasn't the main thing to Moses. Essentially, God's saying, I'll give you everything I promised, except my presence. And you fast forward further on the story, and he says, God, if you're not going to give us your presence, then let us stay out here in the desert for the rest of our lives, but keep, let, us have your, let us have your presence. Let us have your presence. And I don't know in the raw honesty of my heart if that's even the way that I pray all the time. I pray out of the things I look at my life that I feel like God promised me that I don't have. And I kind of feel like I get stunted in my spiritual walk sometimes because I look at what I don't have. And those are the things that I focus on in prayer and I focus on in worship and I hypothesize and say, God, if only you'd fill in these couple blanks, then everything would be good. And I wonder if God sometimes says, if I filled in all those blanks, would you even want me anymore? And is your relationship based with me out of what you think I can give you or is it based out of just knowing me and being in my presence? And it was, it's... I'd like to be able to say that I think 100% of my relationship is based on just chasing after God's presence, but I think in the raw honesty of my heart, I think a lot of my relationship with God is based off what he's doing for me in the present moment. And if I feel like he's giving me what I feel like I need, what I feel like I deserve. And I don't say that proudly. I say that a little bit ashamedly this morning. I'm a pastor, right? I'm supposed to have this stuff figured out, but I think sometimes God shines. I'm glad he shines the lights in my heart too because maybe you're tracking along in some of those places too. So how did Moses navigate that? We've been starting a series about what is the main thing. Is there a main thing to life? Is there a main thing? You know, I'm a guy that likes the main thing. You know, the, you know what is the overarching principle? And we introduced this idea last week, and, and I think... As I looked through, I looked at Moses, I looked at David, I looked at Jesus, I looked at Paul, just pulled a couple guys out of the Bible who spoke very clearly about distilling their whole life down to a statement of saying this is the main thing. And there's a common thread that runs between all of them. We're looking at Moses this week. And one of the common threads was, was they just wanted to be inseparable with God. That was the main thing. And anything that got in the way with that, they, they, they went to war against. Here's God saying, Moses, I'll give you everything you ever wanted except my presence. Wow. What if God made that same offer to you this morning? Look, you can have it. You have the job, you can have the dream husband, the dream wife, the dream kids, the dream car. And you might say, Pastor, I'm past that. Okay, you can have all the peace, you can have success, you can have people who will love you, you can have all the fulfillment that life can offer, you can have the job that you want, you can have the role that you want in life, you can have all of it except my presence. How many of us would take that offer? It's hard to even consider that if you've never tasted of God's presence. 
it's hard to know what you're missing if you've never tasted it, right? You can't crave, this is in your notes, but it's coming. You can't crave something you've never tasted. I think that's why church feels so bland to so many of us because we've never tasted God's presence. We don't know what we're missing. I will tell you one thing, that once you get even a small taste of God's presence in your life, it is a taste like nothing other. It will open up a God-given appetite and craving that you might not even know is in there. And life will never be the same for you. Church will never be, you won't want to settle for anything less. There will be a misery. Some of you know what I'm saying here. There will be a misery in your life once you've tasted of the glorious, magnificent presence of God and then you feel like you've lost it. You're missing it or it's been deprived from your life. I've walked through almost depression. I, have, I live with depression. I'm medicated for depression. Um, you know, and I don't want to put it all on that, but there's, you know, you've got this paradise lost mentality sometimes. Like I've tasted of that for a moment. And you know when it's not there and when you walk without it. And there is a misery and a longing in your soul to taste it again. And I realize that as I'm saying that, some of you are looking at me saying, Pastor, I can't identify I've never tasted of that. I don't even know what that's really totally like. And maybe in some small, small way, maybe you and I have connected because maybe I can help bring you somehow into the presence of God, at least to have a taste of it because there is nothing like me. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. It's not a church strategy. It's not a church growth book. It's not a 12-step program. It's just God's presence. And there's nothing like it. There's nothing that compares. And once you've tasted of it, there is a misery in having that paradise lost if you feel like you can't get back to it again. I know I live sometimes with that misery in my life. If I go for sometimes days or weeks in my prayers, now God, let me recognize the moment that your presence and I are disconnected. Let me recognize immediately because I don't want to be separated from that. I'm way, I'm way off track this morning. Let me get back, let me get back to my notes here. I apologize. Well, you know what? No, I don't because I feel like I, I, I revoke my apology. <laughs> I revoke my apology because I do feel like maybe God's downloading some stuff to me right now in real time that I'm trying to process as best I can in the natural but dysfunctional mind that he's given me. The main thing, it's in your notes, the main thing is for me and God to be inseparable. The main thing. Could you imagine how different life would feel if you never felt a break in the presence of God in your life? Even the unpleasant things would feel somehow a little bit more pleasant if you could at least recognize that you and God were still connected and that you didn't have to leave God's presence the last place you found it. The main thing, I think, to Moses, the main thing to David, the main thing to Jesus, the main thing to Paul was to be inseparable with God. David had a whole lot of stuff, and we'll talk about David next week. David had a whole lot of stuff, and he said, the one thing... The one thing that I ask of God, the guy who had it all, is just to be able to be in the, the temple, in the Holy of Holies, in your presence forever and never have to leave. He had everything else. I mean, look how many wives and sheep. I mean, sheep aren't high up on my priority list, but he had a lot of them. I don't know what I'd do with a bunch of sheep. I mean, I, I mean I've, got a, I've got a one and a half year old, and I've struggled with that. But he had all this stuff, all this wealth. He had the best job. He had the best position. I mean, think about it. He had multiple wives. I mean, he... He said, but the one thing I'm still asking for and seeking is just to be in the uninterrupted presence of God and be inseparable with him. Wow. When Jesus hung on the cross. The, we don't have it recorded that he said a whole lot. There's very little recorded in the Bible that Jesus said when he hung on the cross. At the time he finally does cry out is he recognized when he took sin on him, he had to be separated from God. First, God, why have you forsaken me? 
Because the main thing that Jesus was feel, feel completely inseparable with his father. And the moment that he didn't, he had to speak to it. Why have you forsaken me? Paul said, I'd give everything else up, all my education, everything else. I'd, I, I, I'd give it all up to be one with Jesus, to be united with him. The main thing to these guys was to be inseparable with God. It's the main thing for us. So Moses' concept of God, I think, was much bigger than that of most modern Christians. I think what Moses thought about God, the walk and the relationship Moses had with God, he saw some stuff I haven't seen. And because he saw some things I haven't seen, he probably thinks God's a lot bigger than what I think. So who was the God of Moses? You know, he was this, the God of Moses, think about this, he lifted three and a half million Israelites out of slavery in one day. One day. He held back a small, like an ocean. He held back the Red Sea. Held it back long enough that three and a half million people plus all their stuff could walk through on dry land. This was just normal. Right? Moses sees this stuff happen. I've never seen that happen. He fed a city. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a city that's three and a half million people big that's bigger than Baltimore. You know, a city, what, twice the size of Baltimore and Baltimore County, roughly? Every day, every day, for 40 years, not from crops, just made food appear on the ground. Every day, for 40 years, like it was no big deal. That's the God, that's the God that they served. He provided enough water out of the middle of a rock in the middle of a desert to hydrate everybody plus their animals. This was like normal everyday stuff for them. Has God changed? Then why don't we see that stuff anymore? The God of Moses is no different than the God you pray to, that you worship this morning. Do you understand that? He's no different. He's no different. He's the same. He's the exact same God. He still can bring water where you're starving to death. He still can part oceans and seas. He still can speak a word and cancer can evaporate out of people's bodies. He can take the tumors and the things that you struggle with just like that. With one touch from him, they can evaporate and be gone. He still can. Because the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I just don't think we believe he really is. You'd live differently. I'd live differently. We wouldn't walk around depressed. And I say that as somebody who suffers from clinical depression, who's medicated for it. I say that over my own life. Somebody who suffers with social anxiety disorder. I say that over my own life. I mean, shoot, if he can part a Red Sea, one word, he can heal me. He can heal me. You know, and I get stuck sometimes. I've prayed for people all over the world. I've prayed for, prayed for somebody in a street corner in Paraguay one time. They said, you know, this person needs to walk. I, that wasn't in my repertoire. You know, like I was like, I don't know how to do that. God just said, of course you don't. Just go over there and pray and let me do it. Okay, pray over the person. They get up and start walking. The whole village gets saved. Because I'm some mighty man of God? No, I'm just some idiot he used. <laughs> Maybe idiot's too harsh of a word. That's, you know, that should be in my mind talk, not in my, out my mouth talk. <laughs> I got to change, you know, sometimes the name we call ourselves, you know, isn't, you know, like that little, mind, you know, so we, but, you know, I'm just, I'm just some guy. I was just in the right place at the right time and said, okay. God still does stuff like that. You don't have to be a pastor. 
Just have to just have to know him and be, be willing. He still can do things like that. The God that Moses served was huge. Huge. Look at the stuff he did. Chapter after chapter after chapter. And I wonder if we've forgotten that the God that Moses served is still the God that we serve. He's not diminished in his power. He's not forgotten how to change a nation in a day. He's not forgotten. You know, all we need is for God to show up and heal some cancer on Sunday morning, right? Right? Seriously. You think he stopped being able to do that? You think God's forgotten how to get attention for himself? Oh, he's great at PR. Get a couple people healed from cancer. Get a couple people who have, who have tumors and have debilitating conditions that God just melts it right out of them supernaturally just like that. He doesn't have trouble making a name for himself. I think what slows him up is probably, well, me, us, because we don't know him like he really is. And I want to know that God. I don't want to know the God of, of Michael or Diana or, or you know, Chris. I want to know the, I want to know the God of the Bible. That's the God Moses knew, the God David knew, the God Jesus knew. That's the God that I want to know. And this God of Moses could do amazing things. Those are huge miracles. And it tells me a couple things. Number one in your notes, Moses' experiences with God linked his faith to God. Moses' faith, how do I make this more plain? Okay, so most of our faith here is intellectually based. We're Americans, most of us, you know. Um, and we like to study and learn things, especially this part of the country. People come all over the world to study here. And uh, one thing I've discovered about me and us is we're real good. We want to know it all. It's like I want to know. Seeing is believing, right? That's kind of the way. I'll believe it when I see it. I worked with a whole bunch of doctors and nurses this last week. You know, and, and uh, man, it was, you know, I've never felt dumber in my life than being around these people for a week. Because they're so smart, they're so educated, they just know stuff. And I sat there just in awe of what they do. But there's so much about seeing is believing. And I have had so much trouble in my faith with God because I'm kind of like, God, I will believe it, but you're going to have to prove it to me first. And then I'll believe it. And I feel God remind me so gently, so often, Phil, seeing isn't believing, believing is believing. And I see something in Moses that like he didn't have all his theology figured out first. He just started seeing stuff. Moses' experiences with God linked his faith to God. Because here's kind of the way we roll in our culture. Intellectual knowledge to us. Knowing something means I've learned it. I studied it. I spit it out on the test. I got it right. I know it now. I have learned it. Therefore, I believe it. The Bible defines it a little bit differently. The Bible, biblical knowledge means I have experienced something and therefore I know it's true. It works kind of the inverse. So people who didn't know whether or not God could heal somebody, you could quote them all the verses you want, but they're just like, you can say all the verses you want, I've experienced it and therefore I know. The God and the relationship, the relationship that Moses had with God was based not only on what he knew about God and his theology, it was based heavily on just things that God let him see and experience and do. He had a lot of powerful experiences with God that formed his understanding of God. You and I might not have had some of those same experiences. You might not have ever seen God come down in power and part a Red Sea for you. Or maybe you did, you just didn't recognize that it was God when he did it. Or maybe you didn't allow that experience to shape your understanding of God. Have you ever seen God just come through for you in a major way and a week later you forgot about it? And you know what? That makes you exactly the same as the Israelites. 
He parts the Red Sea and a month later they want a cow instead, right? Because God's forgotten about them. Why do you think God always told him, hey, build a memorial, put a bunch of stones in a big pile. Next time you forget, look at that pile over there. Remember who I am and what I've done. His experiences with God shaped his faith with God. But in our, especially in our culture that values education, it's like, you know, you know, seeing is believing. No, believing is believing. Believing is believing. Our view of God is extremely limited, my friends. I say that putting myself in there. I, I think I have a big view of God. I think it's even more limited. I can't fit all of God in my mind, but I'm constantly saying, God, will you right-click and expand the box that I have you in? Throw me in the middle of things I can't get out of and let me see your hand at work because I want to know you. Regardless of what people may think, and I will get it wrong. I'll promise you I'll get it wrong. I get it wrong regularly. But it's only in my effort to try and understand him better. It's only in my effort to try and understand him better. So as a result, many people get bored. You know, I, I know so many people, and maybe you are that person. You're just bored with Christianity. You believe all the right stuff. It's just boring to you. You don't see miracles. You don't feel God's presence with you today. I don't want you to know that God, because that's not the God that I know. My God's not boring. My God's not boring. Okay, so just work with me here for a second. Um, before we continue, I just want to pause. We'll jump right back into this. Um, if you're here this morning, and I, I, I just want to, I want to take a moment and pause and pray because I do think God wants to do some creative miracles for some of you right now. And I'm not going to make this strange or weird. I'm listening to God as best I can. Um, some of you are, I believe more, this applies to more than one of you, are dealing with headaches recurring. I'm not talking about you just, you know, you slept wrong on your pillow. I'm talking about debilitating, interfering with your normal life work. I'm not going to embarrass you. This morning I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, stand up, come down front, wait in the line, and I have a word. No, I just, I, I, I believe God wants to heal you right here this morning. Okay, right in your seat. But what you have to bring to the table is being vulnerable and honest enough with God to say that is me. So I feel like right now God's talking to me. I'm trying to get it as good as I can. Some of you are suffering with recurring headaches that are debilitating you. It's interfering your ability to live, your ability to do work. In fact, this, this morning when I was over here getting ready, <laughs> I was actually throwing up because, you know, my social anxiety was in a bad place this morning. And I felt God's, it was like he gave me a quick vision. Like I was very awake, but I saw something. And I saw, okay, on the left, right. <laughs> Sorry, you saw that. Um, on the left side, <laughs> when I get it right, I saw just a quick vision on the left side. Like right here, I saw like just a glowing, it was about an egg-shaped size something on one of your necks. I don't know who it was, but it was glowing right here. And it was causing you all kinds of pain and difficulty. And I believe that God right in your seat this morning wants to melt that right away and heal you right where you're sitting. So if you're here this morning and you're suffering with recurring headaches, you know and God knows. All I'm asking you to do is I'm going to pray here in just a moment. I'm going to pray that God just brings healing to you. But I want you to be honest before God, and I want you to include yourself in the prayer. And as we bow our heads in a moment to pray, if that's you, I just want you to touch the part on your head, or if it's all the place, if you can localize. Is that a medical term? Local, if, if you can find where that pain is localized, I want you to put your hand right on it. If you're the person that has, and maybe it could be more than one person, but I saw it very specifically. I don't know if it was a tumor. I don't know if it was a mass. I don't know what it was. It was a vision that was very clear, very quick, just like that. It was like egg-shaped. It was an oval. It was sitting right here. If that's you, when we pray, I want you to put your hand right there. And we're going to pray. And I'm going to believe that God's going to melt that thing right off of you. And that you're not going to have to deal with that anymore. Can I pray over this house for a moment? And we'll get back to the message. Heavenly Father, thank you. We give you full permission to interrupt us anytime you need to, to do what you need to do. 
And Jesus, I pray right now for those in the room that have been suffering long enough with headaches. God, we say in the name of Jesus, enough is enough. And we get out of the way and we invite your healing power to flow into their lives. And I pray a covering over every mind. Satan, you have no more authority to interrupt than the normal thought processes and emotional stability that we have from being able to rid ourselves of those headaches that numbs us to being able to do the things you've called us to do. So I speak life and I speak healing in the name of Jesus over every single person here who's afflicted with chronic, recurring, debilitating headaches. And for that headaches, and for the one who might have some type of a mass, they know what it is in the back of their neck on that spot of their body. I thank you right now. You're melting that thing away. It's dissolving. It's going away. And that they'll see to find medical evidence this week to know that it's gone and it'll be a mighty testimony it has been hindering this person from what it is that you've called them and you've made them to do and in the name of jesus we say enough is enough and we speak healing into that life this morning not because we're anybody we come covered in your blood this morning and we thank you for what you're doing we thank you that we serve a god of power that's able to interrupt us in real time and we integrate you into our plans and we follow your lead thank you for who you are and all you are and i thank you that people are going to walk out of here healed and whole not because of a pastor not because of a prayer because of you jesus because of you Because of you, defend your reputation this morning for being our healer. I love you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for being flexible and working with me on that this morning. (laughs) The next sentence I had in my notes is, if our faith is boring, it's our own fault. (laughs) One thing I'll tell you, you want to get to know the God of Moses. One thing is your faith will not be boring, man. It will not be. God will start showing you things and talking to you things. You'll start volunteering for things you'd have never volunteered for. You'll start accepting assignments you would have been scared to do. It'll be a lot of things. It won't be boring. I'll tell you that much. Our view of God is so limited. I just want to know him as he is. I don't want to know a limited version of God that someone else told me about. I want to know him for myself. I want to know him personally. I want to know him face to face like what Moses did as much as that scares me. Because you know, coming to Jesus cost me nothing. Following him will probably cost me everything. But the more I get to know him, the more willing I am to fork over whatever I've got that he can use. And it has cost me and some of you more. <laughs> it just has. But everything that it's ever cost me, I've been happy to pay. I've been happy to pay. Number two, the Israelites had quite a few enemies in their path, and so do we, don't we? <laughs> I mean, you look at all the ites that were in there, you know, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I'm just so excited I got through that list again without tripping over my words and all the other ites. I mean, like they had entire nations who were their enemies, and and that pales in comparison. I'm not fighting nations. Sometimes I'm fighting me. Sometimes I'm fighting my own insecurity. Sometimes I'm just fighting some... But can I tell you something? You know what the enemy likes to do? He likes to turn everything. This is not in your notes. The enemy likes to turn us as Christians into fighting with each other. He loves to do that. Why do you think the Bible says our struggle should not be against flesh and blood? The enemy wins twice when we do that. You know why? His goal, you know what the enemy's goal is? Destroy you. What better way to do it than to get another Christian to help him and he never gets blamed? So we take offenses with each other. We don't give each other the benefit of the doubt. We go around destroying each other. He doesn't even get the blame. He wins twice. Our struggle is not with each other. <laughs> okay, so something's coming to my recall right now. So earlier uh, last week, I'm sitting somewhere in Haiti. I don't even know where we were. I didn't know where I was most of the week that I was there. <laughs> and I'm sitting with a team of people, and we really felt like God was talking to us about a long-term work that we're going to be doing in Haiti. 
and I'm writing with my right hand. And it was an extremely, you know, I mean, just my fibromyalgia was out of control that week, and it was just really hard. But I was able to hold a pencil, and I can't, part of the symptoms I struggle with is some days I can't hold a pencil. Like, it just it hurts so bad I can't move my, today's kind of one of those days I can't move my, my knuckles. And that's okay. It is what it is. That's the price I have to pay to do what I get to do. Bring it on, you know. Um, either heal me or just give me the grace to, you know, like Paul said, you know, if you're not going to remove the weakness from me, then give me, man, may you be glorified in my weaknesses. But if that's the price I have to pay to do what I get to do, no problem. Jesus paid a whole lot more. So I'm trying to write, right? And this weird lady comes up, right? I mean, and I mean that in the most nice, she's just straight up weird. <laughs> and I'm writing and she goes, um, she goes, I was talking to the doctor that's with you, and she said you struggle with fibromyalgia and blah, 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 blah. I said, yeah, I do. She's like, well, I've got, you know, she started bringing out all these vials of stuff. Maybe it was, you know, good, I mean, it's lavender and snake oil and whatever else she had with it. You know, I, not snake oil. That's just me digressing. But I'm getting nervous and anxious, which is just normal for me. I mean, I get nervous and anxious for a lot of things. It doesn't necessarily mean it's God, but I was feeling uncomfortable. And the lady says, you know, like, I, I hear you have fibromyalgia. Can I, can I help? Can I treat you? I was like, what do you mean treat me? She's like, well, I just, you know, I rub some of these, you know, things on the thing and do the, this with the, that. And I'm like, ah. And the doctor's saying, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And she's like, well, I'm with the, the Church of the Unity. And I'm like, uh-oh. And I'm like, that means that all roads lead to heaven, right? You know, Jesus, God, you know, your Uncle Bob, everybody can get you to heaven. And I don't mean, I probably said that a little more. Here, let me just frame this in. This lady, I have a, the ultimate amount of compassion. She, didn't, she thought she was helping, right? She's just somebody that got some bad teaching in there somewhere. You know, so I mean, my heart of compassion is for her. I don't want to make her feel bad. She's down here trying to help. She's like, well, let me just treat you for a second. What do you mean by treat? She's like, well, would you mind taking your shirt off right here? I said, absolutely, I would very much. You know, the, you know as would everybody else in the restaurant. This would not be, you know, all I need is, you know, me sitting at a table with eight people on a missions trip shirtless with some lady working my shoulder over get on Facebook. You know, that would just, that would turn everybody's stomach. It would be bad for everyone. I was like, yeah, I would mind very much. And so she starts doing, she starts helping me. And I'm telling you, I have never felt pain like I felt in that moment. At one point, and I'm trying, like, I have a high tolerance for pain because of what I live with to begin with. At one point, like, I couldn't see what she was doing, but she said, now you see, she's telling all the other doctors and nurses, she's like, now you see, you know, my thumb's in up to the second knuckle over here. And I'm like, I felt like she was putting her thumb in here and she was poking my ribs out this way. It's like she found that, you know, that song is connected to the thing. She, whatever it was, she found it, right? And it was, and you know what happened? It hurt so bad I could no longer write. I couldn't write. And when I finally just could take no more, she, w- she was done and she left all the little vials of, I'll sell it on eBay or something. But she, le- <laughs> she left all these little vials of, and she walked away and I couldn't write. My hand hurt so bad and I'm like, what just happened? And I just, the enemy didn't want us to have that conversation. And wouldn't it be just like him to interrupt what we're doing? <laughs> And in some innocent way to us, <laughs> make it so that I couldn't even write down all these good things that they were talking about, about our return trip and the things we need to do to mobilize stuff. And, um, but here's what I know. If we'll go up with the Holy Spirit before us, he will drive all of our enemies out in front of us. The Israelites had quite a few enemies in their path. And I don't, this woman was not the enemy. This woman is someone who Jesus died on the cross for. This is a woman who got confused by some things. This is a woman whose relationship with God, she thinks it's all right, but it absolutely isn't. But I want you to understand, you, there is an enemy of our soul, 
And it's not people from a different church. It's not the person sitting in the row with you. It's not the person who's holding back your raise at work. It's not the person who gives you cold coffee every morning with a frown. We have one enemy. We have one enemy. And he works hard to make sure that we don't get at what we're going through. The Israelites had enemies and they were named. But I want you to understand our advocate is greater than our enemies. Our advocate is so much greater than our enemies. The enemy does want to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm not one who likes to talk a whole lot about Satan. I don't. I don't get all excited about that or demons. And, but, you know, at the same time, guys, it's reality. The Bible teaches us that the, Satan does not like, and you, you want to be on a surefire path to have to deal with the enemy, start doing something for God. Some of you might not have ever met the enemy because you're not doing anything for God. The enemy doesn't bother me. Well, you know, then you're not doing anything. But if you want to start really getting after what God wants for your life, he'll mess with you. I consider it a high honor that he's messing with me right now. I consider it a high honor, but I don't take it lightly. I pray over every door and window in my house. I pray over my wife and my son. He's going to hit me where it hurts most. He's going to hit me at my confidence. He knows I struggle with depression. What's he going to do? He's going to find things to poke at that and get there. I, you know, and then when it happens, I shouldn't be surprised, but sometimes you feel weak. He hits us at our vulnerabilities. And I have to say, God, help me not partner with the enemy by sometimes playing into other people's weaknesses and vulnerabilities. And he's had to bring correction in my own life and those types of things. You know, the enemy's even good at taking good ideas and twisting them by one degree and causing damage. You just have to be aware of what you're getting involved in. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want to be safe. I want to do damage to the kingdom of hell. I want to see people saved and lives change. And it gets messy and it gets dirty and it gets difficult. And there is a price to pay for it. And if you want to sit on the sidelines and sit on the sidelines... You want to come every week and have us preach a word and you feel good about it, that's fine. You want to scrape by and live a normal life. You want to go after hell and do something, then man, get in line and let's go. Buckle up your chin strap. It's going to be bumpy. It will cost you more than you think, but what you will get to see will be things that Moses and David and Jesus. You want to see those types of stuff? You've got to pay the price they paid. And the price is intimacy with Jesus. They had a lot of enemies. So do we. But the beauty of it is that you and I won't drive them out. The Holy Spirit will drive our enemies out. We'll have a part in it, but we won't have to do the driving out. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Number three, Moses, I love this verse. Moses talked to God face to face when God's glory descended on the tabernacle. And so can we. Do you understand that Moses speaking to God was different than anybody else could at that time? Listen to this passage. I want you to understand what it was like. I want you to understand the privilege you have right now that we totally take for granted. Listen to this. Listen to this. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Doesn't say he spoke with all the three and a half million Israelites. He spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they'd stand and bow down in the front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. So thankful that God talks to us like that. Do you understand there were three and a half million Israelites who would have loved to hear God speak to them personally, but they couldn't? Do you understand that? Do you understand that before Jesus died on the cross, God's spirit didn't live inside people? When you feel a single goosebump from God talking to you, that's different than these three and a half million Israelites. Their best hope was hoping that Moses could hear from God and he'd come back and tell them. They'd stand outside their tents and watch. You and, a guy, you and I cheapen sometimes. We cheapen the presence of God. The fact that you can whisper him. Some of you are listening to God right now and he's talking to you. And you recognize that there are periods of history where people couldn't talk to God like that because of sin. One person could go into the tent and hear from God and come back and tell everybody else. And you see what the people did when Moses went in there? 
God would say, it says when the cloud descended at the entrance of the tent, the people would stand and bow down in front of their own tents, not because they could hear from God. They were hoping that God would talk to Moses and then he'd come back and give them a message. They wanted to be closer. They wanted to have the intimacy of the presence of God that you and I take for granted. If you could feel a single goosebump this morning in worship, that's more than what a lot of these guys could feel. And somehow we cheapen and we devalue the ability to feel and experience the presence of God for ourselves personally. Some of us aren't even interested in it. We're all about what God can do for me. We're not about knowing him. And the moment that God stops doing stuff for us, we stop coming to church, we don't give our offerings, we get bitter and angry at the pastor of the church. Look, friend, it's about knowing God. Whether he does another thing for me or not, I just want to know him. He's done enough. He saved me. I'm a mess. I am an absolute mess. I'm one of the most unsavable people that you could ever meet, but I, I was not too big of a challenge for God. And if he gives me nothing more than his presence, that's more than enough. Everything else is a bonus to me. Everything else. But they would stand at the tent of the meeting. Moses talked to God face to face. Face to face. Then there's the end of that verse. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, one of the few verses we hear, Joshua, son of Nun. You know, Joshua marched around the wall. The thing, those of you who watch Veggie Tales, it was the slushies episode, you know, where the, where the wall falls down. Joshua would remain behind in the tent of meeting. How would you like to have your only job like Joshua was just to follow Moses around and then hang out in God's presence while everybody else went on about their business? Could you imagine? Could you imagine what that was like? God was preparing him for the rest of his life. And there he is in the tent of meeting with the uninterrupted presence of God upon him. And here's the tragedy. I hear so many people say, I wish I could have been in the tent of meeting and felt God's presence like that. Friend, you understand what the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross and the veil of the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom that made that access possible to you too. The same thing, the same God, the same presence. Why would you settle for less than that? Come on, man. Don't act like when you get a craving that there's ever enough. Oh, there kind of is. I crave ice cream sometimes, but after the second bowl, it's enough. You know, that first bowl goes down pretty quick. You get brain freeze, you cry. You commit to exercising double the next day. You go back to the freezer, you get a second bowl. But after the second bowl, it's like if you gave me $500, I couldn't pound a third one. God's, the hunger that God stirs inside of your heart for his presence is different than what you get for food or for money or for anything else. It is an insatiable appetite. There is a God-sized vacuum in each of us. We were created with it that nothing else will fill. And once you get a taste of the presence of God, there is nothing like it. And it will wreck you and ruin you for normal Christianity. Church won't be enough. For, church won't be enough for you. Worship won't be enough for you. Reading the Bible a couple times a week won't be enough for you. You will want to be in the uninterrupted presence of God because it is like nothing else. But I realize it sounds silly if you've never tasted the presence of God. It's like saying you like ice cream if you never tried it. You can't, listen, uh, not your, you cannot crave what you've never tasted. You cannot crave what you've never tasted. It's intrinsically impossible. That's why I so desperately want you to taste of the presence of God. Not my teaching, not Phil. I'll get old. Trust me, some of you have already gotten old. I understand that. Thank you for being here anyway. Once you've tasted the presence of God, it ruins you for normal Christianity because everything else pales in comparison as it should as it should. These guys tasted. Moses met with God face to face. A young man named Joshua had a hunger for God's presence. That hunger led him to an experience with God's presence. 
And that experience deposited knowledge in his heart that deepened his faith in God. It wasn't out of the book knowledge that Joshua had, and I'm not downing book knowledge at all. Because there's times too when I read the Bible, lots of times in the Bible transforms, I don't mean to diminish it. But Joshua had these amazing encounters with God. It wasn't only book knowledge that taught him about God, it was personal experience. It wasn't limited to just what he could read and study and memorize and write papers on. And, and, and look, I believe in education like the next. I'm, you know, as soon as I get one set of student loans, you know, we sent my wife back to get her master's. You know, I had gotten accepted to uh, University of Texas right before I moved up here um, to do my master's. I believe in education. I want to get more. But I also recognize that education isn't my only pipeline to Jesus. I want to experience him. I don't just want to know about him. I want to know him. I don't want to just know about God and know a lot of verses and be able to break down the Hebrew and Greek. And that's all fantastic and wonderful. It has its place. But man, if my intellectual knowledge replaces experience, I'm missing out on the beauty of God. I want to experience him. And that's... The God that Moses served was a God that Moses and Joshua both, that they both experienced. And those experiences deposited knowledge in their heart that deepened their faith in God. And I'll, I'll hurry to close here. Number four, the Israelites were on quite a journey and so are we. Man, they were on a journey. I love this verse in Exodus thirty-three, thirteen. This is Moses continuing his prayer to God. He says, if it is true that you look favorably on me, Let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. Remember that this nation is your very own people. Here's the thing. And and it didn't really hit me until I tried to study this. There was nobody among those three and a half million Israelites at this point in the story who knew anything but slavery. It's all they had ever known. They didn't know freedom. There wasn't a person among them who knew anything other than just being a slave to something. So this whole idea that they could be free. See, they were a nation without like a territory at this point in the story. They were very much a country, a nation. But they had no land. They had no boundaries. They had none of those things. They were nomadic at this point. They were somewhere between point A and point B. And Moses didn't ask for a homeland. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for a map. Here's what he says. If it's true that you look favorable, favorably upon me, you know what I want? I want to know your way so I can understand you better and continue to enjoy your favor. It was God's idea to rescue all of his people who had been slaves for over three centuries. And nobody among them was capable of knowing anything other than slavery. The slavery mentality had been so embedded into their psyche. It was God's dream Probably an impossible dream to lift these people out of slavery, take them on a journey to a promised land and give it to them. Can I tell you something? You're also caught up in God's dream for you this morning. God has a dream for you that's bigger than even what you've experienced yet. It's bigger than all of us put together. We're just the ones fortunate enough to be caught up in what God's doing. So it behooves us then to walk very carefully so as not to touch and ruin this thing that God's doing. We need to let God be God. So what's our destination? I don't know, I guess I kind of hope that maybe one of our destinations is just a tremendous outpouring of the presence of God on my life. That would change me. I need so much help. I do not want to be the person that I came into this world as. I want to bring honor and glory to God and I want to know him as good as any human being could possibly know him. No matter what the cost to me. And I'm very calculated in what I'm saying. I mean that with all my heart. I want to recognize that I'm under the influence of an entirely different person that's so much bigger than I am. Last point is the presence of God. It's the most, it is the most magnificent thing. 
the presence of God. And if you've never tasted of it, oh, I wish you could. I wish you could taste of it. Because when the presence of God comes and you get to taste of it, it leaves you either softer or harder. It does one of the two. Because either you have to resist it or you, or you yield to it. It's the most magnificent thing. It's wonderful. Can I tell you what it does for you? It changes our character. It changes our desires. I remember when I first started tasting of the presence of God for real in my life. It changed, it changed all of my desires because everything else paled in comparison. When the Spirit of God and the presence of God comes, you won't struggle to pray. Sinful thoughts will seem like they're thousands of miles away. Things you struggled with for years will disappear. God will open up your future and it'll seem possible. It'll excite you. It'll motivate you. Things you thought used to control you will melt away from you. The way you look at yourself will change. If you're looking at yourself feeling depressed and anxious, those things melt away. If you look at yourself feeling like I am incapable and I don't have the confidence, when the presence of God comes and you taste of it, he will open up your present and your future. He'll start to talk to you about things that seem exciting to you, you seem incapable of, but you're ready to tackle them anyway. You don't feel so alone. It will ruin you for normal Christianity. It'll ruin you for normal church. It'll ruin you in the most holy, amazing, magnificent way. Will it make you perfect? Eh, no. But when you're just connected to the presence of God in that moment, you won't be sinning either. Because you can't have it both ways. You can't live a life of sin and then cultivate intimacy with God. You can't do both. And in those moments when you feel most connected with God, sin will seem like it's a million miles away. Some of you have been there and know what I'm saying. Others of you, this sounds crazy. All I would say is there's an invitation into this presence for you. We were made by God for God to be a habitat for another. We were made to be filled by somebody else. It's the way you were created. It's your divine design. You were made by God for God to be filled by somebody else. You were made to be filled by another. You are a God-shaped container. He just wants to evacuate you out of and he wants to empty himself into so that you can be the you you always wanted to be but you couldn't make yourself into on your own. When God's presence, well, how, how do I know? When God's presence fills you, God's nature, His way of being, just being comes over you. You know what happens when God's presence fills you? You start loving people you don't even like. Man, do I need that. <laughs> you know, because the Bible doesn't say we have to like each other. Yeah, I know. Love, I always say love is command, like is a choice. But if I'm honest, there's some people I don't like that I don't love either. That's because Phil's ability to love is imperfect. And Phil's love will find false with everybody. Phil doesn't even really love himself, to be quite honest with you. I've had to struggle with that. I don't really love me all that much. I see all my inadequacies and my faults. That's very unhealthy. Somehow God's able to look at me and love me enough to send his son to die for me. I want to borrow that kind of love and use it as if it was my own. There is the love of Phil and there's a love of God. So this whole life has been just a transplant and an exchange. God rid me of my love because it's imperfect. Help me love like you do. Help me love me like you do. Because you don't look at me and see all my long litany of everything that I've done wrong. You look at me and see that I'm your most wonderful creation, even though I'd argue about that. When God's presence fills you, you'll love people who were previously unlovable to you. Almost as if you can't help it. Almost as if it's supernatural. Almost as if you're borrowing someone else's love and giving it away as if you borrow it, if it was yourself. Well, I think the Bible talks about the love of God, not the love of Phil, and not the love of Paul, and not the love of Moses. It talks about the love of God. He lets you borrow his love and give it away and use it and experience it as your very own. When God's presence fills you, you'll find conflict start being resolved because the main thing becomes the main thing. 
When God's presence fills you, violent people will be tamed like lambs. When God's presence fills you, lust-filled people will be filled with purity and holiness. When God's presence fills us, even the people in your life that you think are unsavable, when God's presence fills you, you'll see those friends come and be touched and completely transformed. Once you've tasted the presence of the living, joy-filled, holy, almighty God, you won't want anything else. You won't. Nothing else compares. So here's the conclusion. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit during, during prayer, it ruins you for normal Christianity. Here's the catch to this. When you don't sense the holy presence of God around you, life is dreadful. Once you've been touched by the presence of heaven, nothing else can satisfy you. Nothing else. You will be miserable. The most miserable days I've walked through on this earth is when I did not feel connected to the presence of God that I once knew. But the Bible invites us to live a life where we feel connected to that presence. That's the God Moses served. He did big things all the time, inexplicable things, miracles. And he was close. He was intimate. And Moses said, God, if I have the choice between having all of your promises without you and having none of my promises with you, then take all the promises away and just give me you. Just give me you. I want to have the courage to live out that prayer in my own life. Will I still have problems? Of course. There's still a devil. He's not going to lay down. Especially you get on this path, you're just signing yourself up to fight. just need to let you know. I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing a lot of head nods because some of you know. You're a few more miles down this path than I am and I draw on your strength a lot of times. I guarantee you, you want to go after God this way, hell will take notice, but I'm happy to be on their hit list. Seriously. If hell's not interested in me, I'm not doing enough for God. If he's not interfering in what I'm trying to do and who I'm trying to be, then he's got me right where he wants me. It's kind of a backhanded compliment in a certain way. Well, I still have problems, of course, but will those problems overwhelm me? Not if I live in his presence, they won't. My heart breaks this morning because I I can look around this room and I can see eyes are looking at me like, Pastor, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never tasted God's presence like that. Man, I understand. This sounds like gibberish. Can I just invite you to experience His presence just like that, just a little taste? It's the most wonderful thing. Can I pray over you this morning? Jesus, I love you so much. Love you so much. You're so good to us. Thank you for your presence. And I just want to be clear, God. I don't think I deserve it. (laughs) I realize what I deserve. And I am profoundly grateful. Probably not grateful enough. But I'm profoundly grateful that you've chosen not to give me what I deserve. But out of your tremendous mercy, you've given me everything I don't deserve. Simply if I choose to follow you. So I pray over this precious group of people this morning. I pray for the ones who are a little skeptical today who say, I don't know. Pastor was kind of inexact on a lot of this stuff. 
I don't know what it means. But I pray if there is even a gravel-sized opening in their spirit this morning that says, you know, I'm a little bit interested. I pray right now that all of the glory of heaven that can rush in and fill that little vacuum right in their seat right now, that they would sense and feel your presence, your awesome, magnificent, warm, gracious presence that fills these little vacuums in us and makes and transforms us at once so that we're not the person that we used to be. God, we don't want to do business as usual. I don't want to just set up and tear down every week. Say we have church and count people and put them in reports and pat ourselves on the back. What is that? What is that? I can't believe that, Jesus, you hung on the cross for us to fill out some spreadsheets every week and feel good about. Well, don't I have to believe there's more to this than that? God, I don't care. Maybe we build a building. Maybe we don't. Maybe we change logos at some point. Maybe we don't. None of that stuff matters to me. God, honestly, it doesn't. There are people lost and dying within the shadow of this school that need to know you. And maybe you haven't picked the most qualified people. You've picked us to be here. Please help us be transformed in the image of your son. Help me be different. I'm not good enough to carry what it is that you've called me to carry. But I know if I can walk and live in your presence that that will somehow transform and shape me to be an accurate representation of what you've done in my life. And I know your presence changes people. My presence doesn't. I pray around this room for people who are craving for more of you. Don't disappoint. I believe you're making people hungry around this room right now for more of your presence. People who want to know you a little bit better today than they did yesterday. People at all different points in their spiritual walk with you. I pray in this moment you would crack open heaven and you would deposit into their spirit. Let them sense who you really are. Let them know you right now. I pray it would be like a flood of reality to them. Overwhelm them with your presence. If you're in this room this morning and you're saying, you know, I don't even know where to start. I can answer that question for you. Where it starts is a personal relationship between you and Jesus. I'm not the middle man. It's between you and God. How do I start? Easy. You have to just recognize that you don't have him. Admit who you are and who you're not and then welcome him into your life. And he'll take you just like that. Transform you. How do I do that, Pastor? It's pretty simple. You just, in your own way, in your own words, I can't do it for you, but you can do this for yourself. You can just pray a prayer similar to this. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I ask you to please forgive me for living for me. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my choices. I want to know you. And I believe that you exist, Jesus. I believe you're God's son. I believe you died on a cross in my place. I believe you took all of my sins on you and you paid the penalty. You satisfied that price with God. It doesn't make sense. I don't deserve it. But man, if that's what you did, I accept that. I accept that. And so I invite you into my life to change me from the inside out. Please help me to be everything I can be in you. And friend, just that simple. If you mean that right now, what you are experiencing, you see, it is some emotion, but what it is is God making your body and your soul and your spirit his new home. And the feeling you're feeling right now, you're saying, will that go away? Not if you don't want it to. God, we just invite you to come and change with us. Change us. Make me today even one degree closer to the person that you've called me to be and made me to be.